everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte. I am joined today by Dark Sheik. How are we doing? Thank today? you very much. I'm doing well. I'm really happy that you didn't say the Dark Sheik. I get that a lot. <laughs> I feel like it's cleaner. Drop the the. That's uh, what is yeah. it? Uh, is uh, Timberlake in uh, Social Network? Is that what he says? Very possible that maybe I heard that somewhere else. <laughs> he's like, he's like, not the Facebook, just Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. Dark Sheik. Uh, we're enjoying. There's only one thing softer than an indie handshake, and that's a Zoom indie handshake, where it's even mm-hmm. lighter than. <laughs> I'll give you the old school, the two finger. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the only person that, I, that never gave me an indie handshake when I was involved in indie wrestling a lot was uh, Dalip Singh, aka Great Kali. Uh, he just was just like, "Here you are." <laughs> I was just like, "Okay, I have a no. t- very tiny hand now." All right. It's possible no one ever taught it to him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I seems like a really nice guy. I have a feeling not a lot of people tell him like what to do, just mm. based on his, his size. <laughs> His way of life and just the way he's experienced the world is unlike anything that we can ever like fully imagine. Yeah. Because just every time you go to a hotel room, imagine having like duck in the doorway, kind of crouch in the shower. Who knows what? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like the, in the Andre documentary that was on HBO, that, that was so good. They were like, mm-hmm. I didn't even think of the fact that like, yeah, planes are going to be shitty, but also like he literally can't go to the bathroom in a plane. Oh, I don't know how people do it now. I go in there. I'm like, this is tight. Like I thought I was small, but, um, <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I find it, I find it a little difficult. I'm my big self turning around in there. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and let's start off with the. You know, it, it wouldn't be a podcast if you don't start off with how did you get into wrestling and blah blah blah. But more importantly for me is how did you get from that to discovering independent wrestling? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a fan really young age. I I really loved um, Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of wrestling. But I watched that, and then the '92 Rumble, not too long after. And by then, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this forever. Like, this is what I do for a living. Um, I continued to watch wrestling. Like, I was doing tape trading um, before there was YouTube. I would, like, email somebody, and they would say, I have Super Jacob. And I was like, cool. I got Best of the Super Juniors 93. Can we send each other VHSs? I just had stuff from all over the planet. Like, literally, if there had been wrestling on the moon, I would have had it on VHS or on Mars or something. I would have found a way to get it. I was just watching everything I could. And surprisingly, though... I was just finding out about independent wrestling. Like I knew about AAA and like um, New Japan and like all that stuff, but I was just finding out that there's a scene around my neighborhood. And a friend of mine from high school went to some message board for NorCal and found a post put up by Ian by Wildstorm. Wrote a post. I'm sorry, White Trash at the time. <laughs> put up a post that said um, Sabu was doing a local independent show, and. I went to it. It was a big time wrestling show in Newark. Me being Iranian, Sabu is the only character I'd ever seen on TV that wasn't a little bit of an embarrassment because Iron Sheik was tight, but then all of a sudden he's Iraqi and every other Sheik is like just for pretend. And I didn't see a lot of Sabu's uncle, no defense to the original Sheik. I hadn't seen him a lot. So I think if I had, I was sort of been scared, not embarrassed, but still he's like a wild man. And Sabu is too, but he just moved so beautifully, believe it or not this time um he was like one of the most graceful wrestlers on the planet just everything he was doing was such next level and he was middle eastern and i was like cool i'm gonna go too um sabu no showed and i went up to kirk white i just kind of somehow i spotted him i was like who's who's here like who might be in charge i don't see sabu 
I want to know if he's here or not. And I walked up to him and I was like, where's Sabu at? Is he coming? Uh, you know, it looks like he might not make it. I'm sure he knew he wasn't coming. But might not make it, you know, we're doing refunds if you need it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, um, but if you need a wrestler to fill in, like I'm here. He's like, are you trained? And I'm uh, 14 at that time. I'm not trained. I thought about it. I was like, wow, like, this is how I get into wrestling. I was like, wait, but then forever, this is how I got in. People will remember that. So I fessed up. I said, no. He's like, well, we got a school. Got me, suckered me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I went there a couple months later. I had my dad sign the release that says I was under 18. And then I had a match a year later. A year later. Yeah. yeah. So I was um, just after my 16th birthday was my first match. And uh, is that the one you, you posted about on Twitter, the one yeah. that's Wildstorm? I posted that today. My first match was against Will Strom, um, <laughs> Wildstorm, and um, Hollister, I believe. It was like in the side, like a silo, like on a farm, tipped over, and someone put a ring in it. I'm like, that's where the first match was in. I think there was literally five rows of eight chairs split down the middle. So 20 people and 20 people, and then a curtain that, um, like, as I'm putting my boots on, I'm kicking the back of the chairs. They can hear every word we're saying. I can hear everything they're saying. Uh, it was just so bizarre to go out. Um, I wrestled Wildstorm in what was a decent and athletic match that I did way too fast and that I couldn't even remember. Just, like, I went out the curtain and I came back. It was so quick. And then later I did a Battle Royal. Um, I remember I came back a little concussed from Shane Cody and covered in blood. And I was like, where am I bleeding from? It was Lay Emperor's because he also got a little concussed by Shane Cody. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and I was a wrestler. They gave me five bucks and a hot dog. And they said, welcome to the business. The glamorous Minnesota. I got a Coke, too. There you go. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what did you... How did you find uh, the vibe as far as independent wrestling and big time wrestling? Because big time wrestling is it's a it's a raucous crowd, uh, mm. raucous people somewhat at times. Um, what did you? How did you feel about like? Was it shocking to you? Uh, you know, just what was your your general impressions? Uh, you know, I was fourteen, so nothing shocked me, and I was too cool for whatever. But um, as far as how the audience reacted, I remember seeing. Gosh, you know, one thing specifically always stands out to me. Um, I saw someone come out as the Arabian assassin. I could tell that they were not legitimately of that culture because they were like making mush mouth words. I'm like, I knew a little bit of Arabic from Salat, from other, and from the Quran. You just have to learn a little bit, even though I speak Farsi. Um, and everyone was booing him. I remember I was at the show and I pulled my baseball hat down and I pulled my collar up. I was like, shit, I'm actually in Middle Eastern. They hate him. Like, they really don't like me. Um, and honestly, it wasn't just him, though. Like, they were just kind of, if you were new, like, they were a little bit mean. Um, shout out to Ken Crow. <laughs> that, wherever he may be, if he is somewhere, like, that guy um, could be super nice, but then all of a sudden, he's just saying the most offensive things. And the crowd is like, some of them are behind it. Some of them are like, kind of like, whoa, it's weird and get quiet and, uh, it was a hostile environment to be in because a lot of them were just there for whatever name was at the end of the show. Like they don't care that I'm wrestling Hopsingly um, or uh, Flawless Kid. You know, they're just there to see like Jeff Hardy at the end of the day. I'm in yeah. the way of that. So you know, it was it was okay. They were they weren't as awful as they could have been, but like they didn't they didn't love me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think uh, especially younger wrestling fans now, I think they would be extremely shocked at the, uh, you know, not that long ago, the uh, the horrible, like, racist, xenophobic gimmicks that were just, like, prevalent everywhere. Like, it's it's just, it was insane. Um, it was the culture at the time, and there was no, everyone would say, oh, well, that's wrestling, and there was no one in a position to push back and say, well, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Like, times have changed, and now we can do that. And, like, you know, there's a whole thing in Oakland that draws a 1,000 people. And we don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about. Uh, we're going to go back again in time a little bit, but let's sure. go. Let's let's segue into Hood Slam real quick. Um, you know, there's when you're creating something like Hood Slam, as you are the mother of Hood Slam. Uh, you, you know, is that the first thing that you think? Well. I mean, obviously you think we want to have good wrestling, but is the mm-hmm. other thing you think is I want an open environment where people can feel comfortable, comfortable, where, where I don't have, where we're not going to have, you know, the guy yelling racist bullshit at people sure. in, the, in the ring. You know, is that like the, is that like right in the forefront of your mind? No, we kind of grew into it. Um, at first we were just like, let's just do what we want to do and have a party. We're not even charging these people money. Fuck the fans. Like we're doing what, excuse me. Um, we're doing what makes us happy. Um, didn't go over if I could say that or not. But um Kirsten's fine. You're good. Good. Because I have a I curse a lot. Um yeah, so we had a real like rebellious attitude. I wanted people who weren't getting mic time and were just kind of like, you're on the show and these guys are at the top. I wanted them to get wild, to open up, and then hopefully take a little bit of that back to their other show so they can have some personality. Um and then when people are smoking and drinking, I was like, we're in an underground warehouse. Like, that's what we'd be doing in a rock show here, which they had, you know, last weekend and they'll have next weekend. So we're not going to stop now. Bring your own beer, light it up. Um, a lot of people came on acid a few times. I've personally wrestled on the show, like, with lingering effects of acid still <laughs> happening. And many, I didn't plan on it. I took it the night before. The next day, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so many years ago, um, you know, I've settled down a bit in my in my more beautiful years. <laughs> but a lot of what we had accidentally became progressive. Like it's just because that's who was with us. There were people that were queer and Persian and black and Muslim, excuse me, and um Hispanic, whatever it might be, Latinx. Um there's all these people from all these different backgrounds. And it wasn't like I need a diverse crew. It's just these are my friends in wrestling. And it just kind of happened naturally. We made mistakes over the way, but we just kept trying to like eliminate those so that everyone could have fun. And then all of a sudden we're like, hey, wait, people are telling us we're the progressive company. I thought we were the assholes. All of a sudden we're the good guys. Like, when did that happen? Um, I love it. I'll accept it. But it was not intentional. It was just mm. to be, um, we were trying to trick people into liking wrestling. I wasn't calling it wrestling ever. That's why it's not Oakland wrestling. It's Hoodsland. Because I knew that wrestling had a bad connotation to it at the time. If I could trick them to coming in, and I knew they would enjoy the show. So we've built a lot of fans that way. Um, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, I think when you're when you create something and you just you don't worry about like trying to emulate something else. Instead, you just yeah. say like, "This is what do we like doing? Let's do what we fucking like doing." And then I think that your audience finds you as opposed yes. to like you know trying to convert people into thinking a certain way about wrestling it's like no right. the people that like that stuff will go and they'll show up if if you do it and you do it well and you do it with like with love you know if you if you seems like you actually enjoyed the show you're putting on yourself then i think people feel that in the crowd yeah it's it's something that i would 
bet on, you know, I'd bet the whole bank on it, that if you're having fun, the crowd will have more fun. Even if you're like being a jerk when you're having fun and you never smile, like it just resonates through and there's a power there. And it's not just, you said something about like emulating what you've seen. It's not just that like it gave us room to grow. It did. It, imagine me with like a thousand dollars and a friend letting me rent a ring and a warehouse in underground Oakland and being like, okay, I want this to look like SmackDown. I want this to look like Raw. It's not going to. When people do that, they'll put up the little gimmick entranceway and there's like a screen. It's nice. Like have a screen, but it's like they're trying to do exactly the Raw set. There's like these little can lights going off, a little fog machine. It's cute, but you're still in a cafeteria yeah. or like a church or whatever it might be. And it's just like, let's embrace who we are. Like we just need one light. We don't need any special effects. Like we don't need any chairs. We're just going to go through the crowd. This is going to be an underground concert. And, you know, 10 years later, there's all these like lights and effects. And like, we have our own things that, that are cool. Like, uh, you know, we have spruced up the, the visual aspects a lot, but it's still at its heart. Like we're underground. We're from Oakland. We're out of our pockets in a notebook. To make this happen. Why um, present as anything else? We'll just look like their kid sister. You know, we won't look like we're us. We'll look like we're not them. And mm-hmm. you know, in a way that makes you think of them, though. Yeah. I want to be me in a way that makes you forget about them. Yeah, in a very like punk rock way, where you're just kind of like. Like I've seen people play play guitar and drums, but I haven't seen it do it in this way before. Right. You know, you know. So it's kind of like, oh, I didn't realize this is what what you can do, what the possibilities are with an art form, which I, mm-hmm. I believe wrestling fully is. It's an art form. It's it's not just a physical thing. I think there goes, you know, it, a lot goes into the creativity of wrestling as far as building <laughs> matches and everything. Yeah. Um, so let's go back a bit because I, I am curious because. You know, at the time, like we said, like the the really bad, you know, sheet gimmicks, they, you were aware that they were like, oh, this is embarrassing. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the gimmick you have in big time wrestling is uh, it's a very, were you like, ugh, do I really have to do this? Like, what, it, what was your, uh, what was your thought process like during that time? A hundred percent. I was like, I don't want to do this. I saw this in the eighties and the early nineties and I hated it. Like, oh my God, they're going to make me do this. Um, and I was like, well, let me get in front of it a little bit because some of the names that was being thrown in the air were like embarrassing. So I was like, okay, like I'm going to have to do this. Like, let me research it so I can make the choices and not be like, um, what do I do? And they'll be like, well, you're doing this. I hate it. So um, I tried to push my actual name. My name is Khanda um, Rabadi. So I tried to push Khanda Rabadi to be my wrestling name. Like, no one can say that. And I was like, Kondagabadi. And they're like, no. I was like, Kondagabadi. Like, okay, that's kind of so like, sweet. Like, Dash Riprock backed me up on that. I was like, oh, my God. Finally, something nice out of you. Um, <laughs> and then um, I tried to pitch the Arabian Night Rider, Punjabi MC, for my music. And they were like, no, you're doing Muhammad Hassan. I was like, okay. Like, concessions. I got one. I lost one. <laughs> and um, it was just always this. And I remember I, at first I was just kind of like, I had a headdress, I put it on some Saudi thing. But then I started looking up like on BBC news. I was like, what, what is Hezbollah doing? What is Hamas doing? Where are these people that I'm being, having yelled at me? Like, what is their deal? And I saw, I saw the way they were wrapping it up. It was kind of more militant. It wasn't like I'm a prince. It was like, I'm a ninja. So <laughs> I started pushing that and I was always into like, um, 
Hashashin, which is this Persian thing that Assassin's Creed is based on. Um, this is a real historical thing where in the mountains of Iran during the Crusades, there was Temple Alamut, and this old man would go and get all the young military age kids and bring them up to his temple castle and make get them really high on hash. I think like a soup hash. And then they would wake up in a splendid garden, which is hard to have in the desert. Not everyone has a garden. They'd wake up in this garden with virgins, more hash, and when they pass out again, the old man would say, I brought you to paradise. I can do it again. You don't need to, um, you know, focus your life on trying to get it at the end because we can get there over and over. And all you need to do is be my assassin. And he would, they wouldn't fight any wars. They wouldn't fight any, they wouldn't kill anyone that was like a nobody. They would only kill leaders, generals, um, sultans. And this is what assassins create and where the word assassin comes from, those that consume hash. So I was like, let me be that. Even if no one gets it, I'm going to be that. That's um, super interesting. Yeah, I love it. Um, so when people ask me, like, where are you training? Like, hashashin, ancient Iranian mountain training. <laughs> and uh, I tried to do whatever I did in the ring. It was something that if I was a 14-year-old, again, watching the show, I wouldn't have to pull my hat down. I might be like, yeah, Maho Akbar, yes. <laughs> like, there's a strong Persian. Like, I'm okay with this. I'm not embarrassed. So it was forced on me. I didn't like it, but I grew to embody it in a way that, honestly, looking back, is probably bad for my psyche because as I'm doing, this is the height of the Iraq-Afghani wars that are still going. And um, people are yelling this shit at me on the street, and then I'm going to the ring, and they're yelling it at me again. Like, on the TV. My escape. Yeah. And it's what's what's on the comedy show, it's what's in every action movie, it's what's on every news channel. So it messed with my head a lot. But yeah, I did that for like hella years, and I'm still dark chic. Like, go figure. Still chic. Who would have thought? One that I'd be here, you know, 20 or 15 years later, um, 15 after being chic, and two that I'm still doing it. Um but it's grown to me. It's attached to me. It's something that I've like found a lot of comfort in and made my own. Had you asked me what my character would have been back then, I would have just been like Persian Tajiri. I had some karate pants, put out a sash. I love mm-hmm. the sash, but like, I've just been like focused on my karate and you wouldn't have seen me pray ever. <laughs> Didn't you have a sash around? Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, that sounds familiar now. The, the, the pants with the sash. That's so you at least got that in there. You were like, I still rock it. Um, yeah. Well, all the BTW crew did come through with me. They gave me, I think Chico Navarro gave me some sparkly green pants. Jason gave me some purple baggy pants. Uh, Ash gave me some yellow pants. Like Ian gave me a singlet. Like I was like, you know, little sibling. I was getting all the hand me downs. Yeah. Give me a singlet that's loose on me because I'm tiny. Um, you know, I remember training. They used to joke at me, like, where are you, 125 pounds? Ha. I'd be like, yeah, ha, ha. but I'm really like, um, <laughs> I could admit it, you know. Uh, fun times. Well, it's in the midst of all this stuff. There was some fun things, and like Lay Emperor would take. I was a broke kid, by the way. You know, I'm taking Bart there a lot of times. Maybe my dad would drive me sometimes, but most of the time I'm Barting over in Fremont, and I'm going like uh, from Richmond line to Fremont almost the whole thing, which is, you know, not a ton of money, but a little bit twice a week each way for a kid. So Lay Emperor is like Mike Silva or like. Um, buying me dinners after training, you know? And even though I'm, like, making it sound like, oh, all this racism and stuff, I'm like, that was real, but, like, there's some love to it, too. Mm-hmm. I think... There's a little bit, just a little bit. 
Yeah, it was. I always thought of that one like, like uh, Hopsing Lee, the the character is just like this really bad Japanese like character, and yeah. like, and and he did like a horrible accent, and then you talk to him, and you're just like, you fight, and it was kind of. I think that kind of helped me though at the time, as from like when I was like 18, 19 years old, and I was still kind of like trying to understand the world when like I see this horribly racist character and I'm like, haha, that's kind of funny. And then I meet the real man and I'm like, Oh, like this dude's like a brilliant, like, like, car- brilliant. like artist, super funny, incredibly guy, intelligent, super nice guy. And I'm like, Oh, and he's just kind of having to do this. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. everything's kind of bullshit. <laughs> Where like, else could we go? What else did we have? If we left here after putting a year or two in, we have to go to maybe APW, which would cost us $6,000. We have to start all the way over. They're going to tell us that everything we know is crap. And you're just in a corner. You have nothing else you can do. And if you want a booking, you got to do what they give you. And nowadays, it doesn't have to be that way. If anyone's training, I hope they don't feel that way. 20 years ago, that's what it was. This is like when ECW shut down, WCW shut down. Every indie is just dried up. All we have is our big-time wrestling show. APW even dried up at that point. They weren't even doing shows was it and they're also telling you the whole time at training that place is trash they're garbage they don't know how to wrestle so after a while you start to believe it like you know they'll show you a match you're like oh they were garbage it's not like you know it's their worst student on his worst day it's not really fair yeah Um, you just got to take what you can get back then and that's where you get a hop singly and a sheet kind of body driving down the road together um we're talking about tiger mask and we're talking about J cups were saying all this like beautiful stuff, and we go to the ring and like you know he's got an accent, I've got an accent, <laughs> and you guys got to both wrestle in a in a in, a, in yet another battle royal. <laughs> we're in the battle royal. I'm wrestling Kid Cool for the tenth time, and the battle royal is me and Kid Cool, and then you know it's like just like, we can do stuff, we can do other things. <laughs> Give yeah. us a shot. But why um, do other things when you can forearm each other for ten minutes in a battle royal and. <laughs> Okay, so check this too. Like, I'm a teenager, and these these dudes that are just giant, and, we're, and like even Hop Sing Lee is just a nice average adult. He's still bigger than me, and they're forearming me, and I'm like, my arm is like a toothpick compared to y'all. So I just start kicking people really hard, really hard, all the time. To where the next time I wrestled them, they came up to me with kick pads, asking me to wear them. Oh, <laughs> back then I was like, ah, oh, that's funny, and now I'm like, oh, I should, I, I want you to talk to me. <laughs> this was the only way I could survive when people are fucking well, I see. Taking their, taking their pound of flesh every, you know, 10 people at Battle Royal. When you see, when you see guys like Cody literally chopping bald dudes straight on the head, <laughs> you're just kind of like, oh, so I guess anything goes. So, <laughs> so I talked about that first show. I wrestled Wildstorm and then in the Battle Royal, Shane Cody. So Shane Cody is in the back and he's the locker room, like I said, was not even a closet. He goes, who are all the rookies? We raise our hands. Mm. And I know that he can only remember me because it's just a bunch of plain faces and a tiger mask. I was Persian tiger at the time. And um, so we go to the ring. Also, he's like, hey, lace my boots up for me. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't know how. I just messed it up and I walk away. <laughs> so, like, he's got it out for me at this point. So I was like, you know what? Just hit me. Fuck you. Um, wonderful person nowadays. Anyway, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, we're in the ring. And I'm standing right in the middle. And all they've ever told me is don't bump into Battle Royal. Otherwise, I'm just trying to be in there. Like, okay, so the bell's about to ring. Where's Shane Cody? I'm looking around, and I'm also looking through these eye holes, you know, because it's a mask. Where is he? 
and the bell rings and I feel a thunk and I hit the ground and I was like, I found him. He was standing right behind me with the cowbell. And as soon as the bell rang, he clanked me with it. And I'm, I'm in the middle of the ring on the floor, which they always told me, don't do, don't bump. And there I am just like, I don't know. He like clocked me a couple more times because I didn't run away. And like everybody chopped me and Phoenix Rage military presses me out of, over the top rope to the floor. I'm walking to the back and I see blood on my chest. And I was like, gosh, they chopped me hard. Like what happened? They must've really, I didn't feel all that. And, um, I get back there. I'm supposed to be first eliminated and lay emperor is back there. Just like covered in blood, not like a little color. He's just gushing. I was like, Oh, that's where the blood. Mm. I was like, Oh, and what happened is he got hit with the cowbell once, twice, third time. And he just turned around and jumped over the top rope. So he ended up being the first one eliminated before me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Welcome to the business. Yeah, for <laughs> real. Yeah, everyone, we, we, when we talked to Mike Modest and another project thing we're working on, he was telling the story, basically, he got, I think it was in a battle royal, I think, he got just chopped, chopped, chopped. One yeah. was like... Uh, against the ropes like this. They mm-hmm. basically put his arms behind it. And he said he was just staring up at the ceiling and all of a sudden all he saw was just red mist. And he was like, oh, that's me. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, that's that's wrestling, though. Yeah. You know, it happens once and then your skin will never allow it to happen. No, oh, really? <laughs> you keep getting chopped. It's like that, you know, you just start to get that callus. It's just your whole body. What a metaphor for life. Uh, so... At what point do you really think that, you know, you tried to influence the gimmicks as best you could under duress from the people who are running the shows, obviously. Uh, But at what point do you start to think, okay, now this is like the first character that is my character. This is something I created and I am fully in. Hmm, You know, um, I've done a number of side characters like flea markets. Um, I did this gimmick Lucha Magnifico for a long time at Hood Slam as well, where it was just a luchador, some like Rey Mysterio, Raiders mask someone gave me. And eventually I was like, uh, am I being a hypocrite? Cause I'm not really Hispanic. So I just stopped doing it. Um, I did that for a long time. When I was at the flea market, I would be, I had a thing where I'd come up with a new gimmick every summer. So one summer I had a, a water Buffalo hat, like Homer Center, I was, uh, and I was in the back and I was like, Hey Rigo, what's Buffalo in Spanish? And he goes, Buffalo. Okay, I'll be Buffalo Shake from now on. And then the next summer, um, I did that for a year. I'd put on the helmet and I'd do the spear. My tag party would grab me and we'd do the bushwhackers running, you know, just having fun. Um, and then for a while, I was Snakebite Jones, which I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Someone gave me some snake pants and a snake jacket. Like, so I just started wearing that. I was Snakebite Jones and had a little bit of fun with that. Um, maybe Dark Sheik? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, now that it's like so me and like I'm dressing more like a superhero than a wrestler and um, and Dark Sheik is not really, no one really even looks at me like a Middle Eastern anymore. Weird. But, um, you know, me transitioning is kind of overpowered anything when people look at me. Um, I don't know. I guess that's it though. Being Dark okay. Sheik the last couple of years. Because even at first I was still just felt like I was a distorted version of what I had been given before. Can we talk a little bit about the uh, the nurse ratchet gimmick? Sure. You know, I was I was thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. So that one is also a big one, actually. That is very much um, something that came from me, and is often me. Not always. Not every time. We're, we're kind of like the doinks. Depends on how much you pay. 
Um, let's see. Or I'm sorry. I guess that was um, Mala's, but that's how much you pay, which which nurse ratchet you get. But um, yeah, that was something that came from. I originally wanted to give it to a different student, but she ended up becoming pregnant and not wrestling. Um, so I just donned it. It came very much from Silent Hill. Also, just like every zombie movie and horror movie I could see. And I thought, again, kind of a, a little bit to protect me because this character is a lot slower moving. It doesn't do as much high flying. Um, sometimes I'm walking the ropes in high heels, I'll admit. But it's compared to my usual style, it was very much a extender of my career. And it's also like there's something so neat about it since you brought it up and now I can't stop. Like you're always told in wrestling when you come to the ring, good or bad, as long as they're making noise, you're doing the right thing. So when I first come to the ring as Ratchet, I noticed that people are dead silent. It worried me, but I was like, oh, I have all their attention. This is a third thing we've stumbled across. This is a new path where they don't know what to do. They can't look away. You know, now that some people know it's me sometimes, maybe they don't have that feeling. But I think that the mystery is really what's important. So that's why I kind of like have other people do it now and then. Even at Hood Slam, it's not me. Like more often than lately, yeah. it's someone else because it keeps it fun that way. You know? You're like, a, was it the Andy Kaufman character? The uh, What is his uh, his night his nightclub? Uh, I forgot the Birds. name now. It's fucking <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just have, How you doing? You don't look well. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Do it so they all showed up at the same time. Right. Like, I, yeah. I sadly haven't wrestled in your scratching yet. That's the only thing I haven't gotten to do. Mm-hmm. I think it's an amazing character because it just brings new feelings and it can be horror, it can be comedy. Um sometimes it's cute. Your scratching like has a lot going on and without ever making eye contact with the crowd, you can get such reactions. You're always told your face and your eyes, your body language, you know, that's how you get it. I learned that I can do small things, little twitches, you know, and it it's the same reaction. It's just another level of performing. Really grateful I stumbled on I'll probably do Ratchet again someday. Nice. Maybe. How did you feel? How did you find out? Uh, we have a mutual friend, another host of this podcast, Jesus Cruz. Uh, mm-hmm. You worked on a lot of his lucha shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious what you thought about like um, working a different style, such as lucha, compared to the style you were trained in. And you know, you, you ended up uh, staying friends with a lot of those people because a lot of those people work at Hood Slam now. Sure. What was your what, you, what was your lucha experience like? Uh, Jason is very proficient in lucha libre. So from the start, when I started training. Um, that was something that he and I both gravitated to. When I went to talk to him the first time, he says, do you want to do that ECW hardcore stuff? And I was like, no, I want to do like WCW Cruiserweight. He's like, Lucha Libre? I met Japanese. I was like, yeah. He's like, cool, I can do that. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. So all of a sudden we're doing pop-up ranas and like quesador this and um, all these head scissors, the burning right arm walk-ups, right arm drags, um, Lucha backdrops. Always. He's always. Now, I, there's people now that are much more proficient. What I do is like, you know, I call it California Lucha. Like everyone in California does an arm drag. Yeah. You know, everyone does a little bit. Um, or they do that little second rope bounce, come back. Everyone does some. Um, so I think that's more where I lie. But, you know, I know to yell out Ocho. I know a little bit about how the heat works there and like how tag structures work. It's fun for me. Um, I love Hazen's Cruise. 
Um, I love the opportunity. I think I got to work with Samara there a lot. Sometimes Matt Carlos or Big B. Um, I never really got to get in like with Jason and all the luchadors or like whoever might have been in that day. So unfortunately, but gosh, I used to always watch like Ulysses, Golden Lion. Um, I remember he was so good. Uh, I think Heavy Metal was around here a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Anyway, so many greats. Yeah. And then, you know, like Black Shark. Too. No, Golden Lion was awesome. I loved, like, Jesus always wanted to bring him back. And then eventually I think he just quit the business entirely. But he was so good. I heard a lot of stories about him when he would go in and out and what would happen and his relationships and how that would interfere with his wrestling. And, uh, mm. you know, like it happens. You have to have that balance. And um, it was so good. It was just like, you watch him in the ring and like, I'm a high flyer. I think I'm pretty hot shit. You just see him. It's magical. Just, you know. Yeah. As soon as he touched it, as soon as he tagged in, it was just. So. You touched on this a bit earlier about uh, when you're working for trying to work for different companies when you were starting out. Because back then, like you said, indie companies like to look at each other and be like, "They're trash. This one sucks. Yeah. Don't work for yeah. them." But like nowadays, it's it's much much different. Uh, it seems like everyone, it's oh maybe not. Uh, that's why you're the expert. I'm not. Uh, how have you seen the business, you know, evolve in the indie scene since you started until now? Um. It's very different. People are having a lot more fun. I'll take complete credit for it. I started a revolution. Now there's a fun party show in every damn state and no one books me, but some of them do. And it's great. You know, I love it. Um, also, you just see that people are believing in themselves more. It was always about, I got to make it to this. I got to make it to that. But now you see like, I mean, two extremes where like half the people that are doing well have shows where they're, I should have done dark sheets hood slam because now you see, you know, so-and-so's party and next person's party. And I'm about to be on Effie's big gay brunch and like Joey Janela's spring break and like all this stuff, MV's polycult. And I'm just like, wow, like I should have named stuff after me. Seems like that was the, the future thing to do. But um, overall, it's just a lot more fun. It's a lot more inviting. I think there is like, that comes with good and bad, but the good is far outweighing the bad right now. It's, wrestling has opened up to a new audience in a way that before it was just hipsters liking Lucha Libre. But now it's like anyone that wants to go to a party knows that a wrestling show can be a party. Mm. Because before, people found it boring, lowbrow. So it's definitely changed. Um, shoot. In the way Bay Area specifically, I mean, outside of BTW, no one was doing good business since King of the Indies. Um, and that was like 2001, and no one was drawing outside of BTW. Maybe SPW had like a year or so when Ugly was in charge. But for the majority of the time, it was like whatever goon squad they had running there and they weren't drawing you know 60 people so it's better you know the the average show number before would be like 40 to 60 now it's like 120 and you have something like hood slam like you know it's to my own horn that was doing 700 800 a thousand often like not sometimes not like once every four years um but just every month we were selling out so things have changed here people that wouldn't normally like wrestling are getting into it. So it's great. I love that. And people here, you know, they're still trash talking. Cause I talked to a student recently who was like, Oh, I heard you guys aren't trained. And I was like, get the fuck out. I'm not talking to you. Anymore. Like you, all you have to do is watch one show and be like, Oh, it's is actually very trained. But what isn't happening as much is 
the students catch a little bit of the brunt of it. Like, you know, they won't get put over as much, but it's less. A lot of times, even though people have beef like up here, like the next generation is still allowed opportunities to work together and flourish. And they'll do better than we do, you know, because they will have made all these friends now. And hopefully when they have something to hold on to, it doesn't divide them. Yeah. And did you have any uh, more old school mentality individuals like that were going to work a hood slam show or did work a hood slam show and they were kind of like the vibe just like they didn't understand the vibe yes um we had bushwhacker luke on the show we have gangrel all there all the time um mustafa from ecw mustafa said um, we're from sacramento whatever <laughs> we have a lot of people that have been wrestling for decades and like some of them they're like this is odd but like this is fun mvp was on the show not too long ago he loved it. Um, most people find it really welcoming. And even if it's not for them every night, they love that it's something that's available now. Um, I know a lot of people say that it's like killing wrestling. Like I think Jim Cornette, like personally, has talked a lot of shit about it. It's like, dude, have more faith in the art. Like, you think little old me is going to kill wrestling? It's some, some cosplay? Like, that's silly. Like, wrestling's been around for thousands of years. It'll outlive all of us. I couldn't make a dent in it. Um, now I can offer something different to wrestling while the thousands and thousands of ROHs and whatever, you know, cafe gymatorium shows are still happening. Like, let me do a nightclub. It's yeah. not going to hurt your business. So yeah, the that's my take is, on that. Is, is a weird, cause like, yeah, you know, anytime you want to say like, Hey, who's going to be one of the greatest wrestling minds of all time, that guy, he knows so much. He knows about the history of wrestling. He's a complete wrestling genius, yes. blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Sure. However, <laughs> he has decided to draw weird imaginary lines where he's like, well, this thing is silly, but me chasing around someone with a tennis racket was not silly. That was fine. Yeah. Like there, there's just like a weird thing where, and then also then he has to get like really nasty about it. Like he said some shitty stuff about Sonny kiss when he was watching an yeah. AEW. And it was just kind of like, you, do you really like, even if you want to make a point about like these guys don't sell or they don't do this, whatever, why do you have to then like muddy your own point by trying to like, sure be nasty like in that way i don't understand that i that many, mindset but how many yeah. performers in his time were closeted because they didn't feel comfortable to come out yeah how many um gorgeous george's were gorgeous george's were there already sashaying around the ring you know setting a stage for him so he can be in this business um and now to be like oh well i don't like how it's happening today looks like shit maybe you should just let us eat like you had your time and how dare you now tell us what we did with the crumbs that were left over with us. Unless yeah. you don't like what we did with them when you didn't do anything to help us out. Like from what I understand, he stayed signed with big companies and just did whatever formula they wanted, put whatever football player they wanted at the top of his cards in OVW. So now when none of us got that rub and he wouldn't throw any of us a bone, we're making little steps. We're doing little things to not only help ourselves, but the business. They don't like it. Too damn bad. You don't get to say what with the crumbs you left us. Every yeah. fucking wrestler in the 80s and 90s took a WWE contract and let Vince have the business. If they didn't, they signed with WCW. Indies die. How dare they try and step in and tell us what to do when they weren't there for us when we needed them? Yeah. Now that we have enough that we get a rub, they don't get talked about anymore because we are. They don't like it. I have no sympathy. I don't know what to say. You know, hopefully you get, you wake up just let the youth, which is younger than me now, by the way, let the youth do their thing because they don't need us to get them. Yeah, like you said, like people, you know, probably got wrestling, especially has 
a long history of like people on painkillers and drugs and all kinds of stuff that like you know not in a good way not in a fun way <laughs> in a bad yeah. way and how many people like you said are like that because they were like bullied in the wrestling world and they and they were shat upon and then <clears throat> excuse me people i like to bitch now especially because nobody's big none of these guys are they're not six foot eight and like completely jacked to the gills yeah and you're like yeah i'm sorry that you know maybe it's better that we don't rack these dudes up full of steroids and they die sure. when they're 28 years old maybe that's better i don't know I, let me just throw that out there you know the life expectancy like i don't know we used to count all the wrestlers that die in a month yeah okay? like now a couple of years a lot yeah. better than it used to be the people are living longer and they're not feeling like they need to die for their company like it, we were talking about mankind the other day and like the chair shots with the rock and going through the cell like these guys were just trying shit they didn't know what they were doing yeah. they were like the forefront of our business and then all of a sudden all of us are taking chair shots and then that concussion movie comes out and we're all like oh we shouldn't have done that for the last seven years eight years um where were they then but now that we're not doing chair shots and we're having fun you got something to say to the back to the back yeah i'm trying to hear it uh luke hawks told me that in xpw uh he held his hand up for a chair shot and they didn't take kindly to that so they on the next show they chained him up like Tommy Dreamer style, and they basically just have him take like three or four unprotected shots to the head to like prove to him, like, no, no, you're supposed to be tough, man. And it's like, yeah, cool, that's great. We don't need that anymore. Yeah, you're supposed to be performers. You're not supposed to be fucking soldiers. Yeah, it's 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 really. Um, you don't have to ch chat too much on this if you don't want, but uh, you meant we talked about some of the names coming in. Uh, I'm curious about one name that didn't come in, uh, hmm. and that was uh, Vader. Vader, oh yeah, he's a fat piece of shit. I only say that because he did. I don't really want to shame anybody. But um, yes, he came to our show. Gosh, there's a three months where I like kind of, I called my Dave Chappelle like escape where I'd like, things were going super well at Hood Slam, but my whole life had changed. And every wrestler that used to be friends with me was now calling me boss. I couldn't have a conversation without trying to get booked. So I just split town for three months. During that three months, um, Shane Dynasty, legend of the Bay Area, and beyond, he um, he got in touch with Vader, I think through like Kevin Klein Rockers. And I came back in town. I was like, you know what? Let me handle it. I'm back here. I'm going to be sending him the money anyway. So I talked to him and I get off the phone. I was like, Shane, this guy's a piece of shit. Don't make me talk to him ever again. You handle this. Like, I'll pay him. I'll book him. But like, I don't want to talk to this person anymore. So at that point, Shane is in charge. And really the only reason I booked Vader was because... He gave me a sob story about how his mother was dying of cancer and he wanted to visit her. And my mom died of cancer. So I was like, dude, if I can do that for you, you know, I watched you on TV, let me do that for you. So we send him his, there's like this crazy list of demands he has in the contract he sends us um, where he has to get the points for the flight. It has to be like with this, uh, this airline because he wants it under his like already built an account or whatever the fuck. So we're like, okay, fine. We get him everything he wants. We send him his deposit, which is like half what he gets to pay uh, to wrestle. And at this point before the show, I'm just like, I don't want him. Why do we do this? Like, this is expensive. Like, I could have just paid my boys. Like, it's not going to put any of us over. Like, what are we doing? Why do we like be marked for this? But um, Doc calls me Shane and he's like, fucked up. Vader's not coming. And I was like, yes. Oh my God. Um, and the reason he bailed on us was because uh, this is the day of the show, by the way. 
but he's not mm. coming. The reason he bailed on us was because the airline we picked was a sister airline. So while he did get all of the points for the flight that was promised, and they all went to the right account and everything, it was not the airline that he had personally picked. So he was not coming to the ship. Um, yeah, fuck him. Then he died later and no tears were shed. Yeah, he um, he apparently had a big-ass uh, thing at BTW one time when he worked there, and I guess Kirk White, like, bitched him out, like, straight up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. You hear those? St- I knew about that already. If this guy starts trying to, like, throw his weight around, like, I will get in his face because I've heard of all these wrestlers that get in his face, and he calms the fuck down. And believe it or not, every single one of them are smaller because he's a bear. You know, he's 450 pounds, but... Every single time someone stepped up to calm down. Shawn Michaels put him in his place. You know, with 170 pounds and a handful of soma, Shawn Michaels put him in his place. So, yeah. Sorry, Shawn, you're my hero. <laughs> but I think I could do better <laughs> in that situation. Was that break that you took, uh, was that when uh, you had uh, Chupi in charge? Chupi was in charge, yes. And he's still, if I ever something happens to me, Chupi is the de facto default to where it goes. So you mentioned a little bit about uh, why you took that break. Uh, do you want to go a little bit more into that? Sure. Um, anytime I went to a show, I couldn't get from the parking lot through the back door to put my bag down without being asked. Someone, someone asked me to book them three times. Some of these were people that never talked to me. Some of these were Shane Cody. Like, you don't book me. I was like, dude, I'm, let me put my bag down. Um, and it's just this stuff for these people that maybe I know them a long time. Maybe they've been nice to me, but like they didn't look out for me when I was gone. And now that things are going well for me, they want handouts. I'm trying to take care of my people. Not that I wish, if I could to help everyone, I would. I don't have anything against like Shane or anyone else that I didn't love. But I'm trying to look out for the people that were with me for those first two years. Um, at the same time, those people that were with me for the first few years, like they're starting to treat me differently. It's not their fault. I'm trying to act differently. Like it's every, it's everybody. Mm. Because I have a lot of pressure to keep this going. Um, I have this lightning in a bottle and I don't know how I did it. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to let everyone down, but at the same time, everyone is like, to them, it's the biggest party of the month. To me, it's the most stressful time. My favorite time, as soon as the show ends, it's the longest break I have until the next one. This is 2012. Now it's just like, it's tonight, great. Here's the show. Easy. But um, back then, it was a bit of a struggle. So in 2013, I left for three months. And I... I didn't tell a lot of people. I let people know that like Chupacabra is in charge. I'm going away, but I didn't talk about it. And I did all my loser leave towns matches and stuff. And I just kind of wrestled across the country, um, Colorado to Texas to like Chicago and um, Indiana. And I went back to Florida, up to like New Jersey and Rhode Island. I went to England and Finland did some wrestling there. I visited Japan and I like got in the ring and trained. I didn't do any shows. I spent like three months doing that. Um, it was good for me. It was hard because I was couch surfing for three months, literally three months on someone else's couch. I didn't go to a hotel one time. Wow. Um, Cause you know, I'm really popular and I have friends everywhere. So it was cool. I saw a lot of things I didn't like and it made me realize like how good we really have it in Oakland. And there was nowhere else that I saw everyone on the same page. CZW a little bit, except for the, it was all the boys at CZW were tight. Um, but the promoter was like, there was a strong division there. And I was like, he's a piece of shit. 
I don't want to be like him ever. Let me go home and appreciate what I got. And I don't leave much since, you know, I don't miss as much. I miss like five shows, maybe or one a year since mm. 2013. Yeah. And you, uh, did you find, especially wrestling in other parts of the country, like, do the crowds seem different? Like, do they react differently to, to like, what do you, what do you, especially I'm thinking like in Finland and, and England, I mean, yeah. was, like, how, how was that? They were lovely to me. I don't know. The, fin- the England crowd was like super into wrestling and we had a 20 minute match with um, Kay Jeller, who was a friend of mine. And it was just beautiful. I liked it so much. And it was really something I needed. Finland, it was at a Renaissance fair. Like it was three days of a Renaissance fair over by this castle. So we we're wrestling like under a tent. And it's just people like all in their Renaissance gear. And then like me, all the wrestlers in Renaissance gear, the referee. I was like, I have chic stuff. They're like, yeah, there were sheiks back then. Like you're a sheik, like cool. So I just wore what I normally wore. And um, it was fun. I loved it over there. People were really nice. Um, everything was just cleaner. Like it didn't taste as good. Like I'd go to get a, uh, like a Big Mac or something because I want to taste it. Like, oh, like they really don't let them put as many chemicals in this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can just feel it everywhere. Um, and the place over there, there's only one wrestling ring in all of Finland, one wrestling company. So no one had ever seen pro wrestling in Finland. Uh, you know, maybe some, but it wasn't on TV until SmackDown. Oh, wow. So on the UPN or something. So this was like people's, you know, within 13 years of people even knowing about wrestling in the country. It's still going. Fight Club Finland. Check them out. They're really cool. Say what's up to a best love for me. Uh, another, uh, we talked a little bit about party atmosphere and mm-hmm. fun companies. Uh, there's one that you worked for. Uh, you worked with uh, a guest I just had on, Mr. Darwin Finch at Wrestling Pro Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, how did you find the vibe down there? I mean, I've assumed you, you, I mean, it's, I, I, th- I saw a lot of similarity uh, between Hood Slam and Wrestling Pro Wrestling. Sure. Different kinds of humor, but yeah. But but similar as in like I feel like this is what two companies of people just doing whatever the fuck they want to do, and yeah. So what did you? How was your experience there? I loved it. Um, I don't know who's in charge as much lately, but when I first started, Brian Kendrick was, um, and once he got signed, I don't know what the deal is. I still show up, but I don't ask a lot of questions. I don't see him much. But so he was a buddy of mine from wrestling, and like you know, also just. Like, he's one of those friends that I'm also just like, oh, hey, Brian, anything you got to say, I want to listen to because he's so uh, smart, just fascinating person. So when he had his own wrestling company that's kind of spiraled out of his school, um, I was on board. I wanted to be there. Anything I could do to support it, be a part of it. And then, yeah, they have these awesome costumes. They have Giraffadora, three-headed giraffe with wings, comes to the ring and fights like an evil Mr. Peanut. Like, and then, uh, you know, two, what is it? Two and a half. Then there's a wrestler that's like a three-legged race. And it's a two-headed person. And they do, like, it's so cool. Um, oh, my God. There's the wizard. <laughs> I'm a big fan. It's stuff that I would never think of. It's like, my stuff is like punk and like comic books. And then whatever Brian, whoever's doing it now, maybe Serial Man, they're very like fantasy and like a beautiful form of nostalgia that I didn't ever tap into. So when I go there, like the booking meetings, just, I love them. I sit there in the booking meeting like, on the edge of my seat and I'm usually cackling because I think it's so hilarious. Um, and, you know, being a jerk and disrupting people talking. 
And yeah, I'm their wild card. What am I? Oh, I'm sorry. They're mid card champion. Yes. That's it. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of uh, almost that like uh, that heavily anime influenced like Toonami Cartoon Network humor from like the the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. Like that's what it reminds me a lot of, which is why I like I think it's, it. It's where it belongs is on Cartoon Network, Comedy Central. It should be, I think it's ready for TV right now. And along with all that silly stuff, just really quickly, you'll have Fidel Bravo, myself, Darwin, Eric Watts, Ray Rosas. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows which of Brian's friends that decide to stop by. And they're all like tearing it up. Yeah. Um, having badass matches. Tyler Bateman was there. Uh, yeah, Tyler Bates. Excuse me. That's his name. ROH dude. You know, yeah, um, Tyler Bateman. Yeah. And I, my good friend. <laughs> yeah. I just had him on here, uh, Eli Everfly as well. Yeah, they have a great talent pool. It's not just all fun and games. You got an amazing show. They stick to times lately. I love that. It's like two hours of action. And then like, for some reason, whenever I'm there in Burbank, like Freddie Prince Jr. will come up and be like, hey, it's a great show. I'm a huge fan. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, um, they're like, oh, Xavier Woods was here. I was like, I wish I said hi. I didn't know. Like, I'm a big fan of that guy. Hopefully next time I get to say hello. It's just like this crazy atmosphere i love it wonderful thank you for bringing it up made me happy and uh also uh you're the subject of a pretty pretty big uh chronicle article about yeah. hood slam and and your transition and everything uh yeah. did you find more eyes like did that really bring more eyes to hood slam like immediately like you noticed that from there yeah definitely um and a lot of people just hit me up too like it made more eyes on me which was I thought like, okay, well, once this is out, like what's left, everyone's got everything in me they could get because the the article was just so well done and so well concise, like in depth. Like you really just got what I was going through, I think. And still am, good and bad. So yeah, it made a difference. I'm really happy with it. I was scared at first, but I'm really happy that and uh, did you find a lot of people in wrestling? Because, you know, wrestling, we talked about it. it. There is an old school mentality of wrestling, you know. Yeah. Like any other walk of life, there's a lot. There's shitty people and there's good people. Uh, did sure. you find once, you know, you figured out who you were, did you find that people didn't take kindly to it, that you thought that you were surprised? You thought, oh, wow, I thought we were friends. Like, what the fuck? No, nobody really surprises you. The ones, except for with love. And it's, there's a lot of people I thought would be like standoffish or, my big fear was that people wouldn't think of that I was lying to them, that I wasn't really friends, that everything had been like a persona that I put on. But a lot of the real, you know, my connections with people were genuine. So I was really happy that people didn't, you know, you just get these fears before you come out. You don't know how people are going to take it. Play the worst case in your head a million times. Yeah, some people have been jerks. And almost every time I wrestle outside of Oakland, somebody yells something transphobic at me. Before that, they yelled something Islamophobic at me. So, like, to some extent, I'm used to it, but, you know, some wrestlers wrote me, they're like, oh, I thought it was a gimmick, so this was actually real the last, like, you know, five years you've been dressing as a woman. Five years? I've been doing it for a while. I just didn't mention it till like, a couple years ago or a year ago that I was trans, but if you pay attention, like, I was putting up photos of me as Xena, like, in 2014 or some shit, so I feel like the clues were there. Um, but yeah, even after like the last year, I had people be like, oh, I thought it was just an angle you were doing. I try not to be offended and I just say, no, you know, 
Thanks for reading it. And some people just haven't talked to me since. Mm. Really, I'm sweating a lot. If you're wondering what this is, I'm dabbing all the sweat. Totally you're fine. Wondering. Yeah. Deal with it. I'm human. <laughs> was there anybody like, say, like maybe just acquaintances, so you didn't really know them too well, that you thought, oh, they're definitely not going to talk to me after they find this out. And instead you were like pleasantly surprised, like, oh, this person's a lot more woke and open than I, than I had ever thought. Yeah. Um, mostly just strangers. I thought when, I, when this happened, I was picturing in my head, I might have to like leave for a while and maybe never come back, maybe come back in a year just because I've been this thing for 15 years or 14 years and now it's changing. Um, I don't know if people would be able to like just go with me on that, but they have been. Um, you know, it's nice when like Joe Applebaum or like Coach Nugs is like, you know, I love you still. I don't care. It makes you happy. And if he didn't, like, I'd survive. I'd move on. But like, yeah, this is like one of the older um, people I know still in wrestling. They've all been cool. They've all been nice as far as people that, you know, I book and have to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't talked to Kirk or Jason. I can tell you that. Um, I think that for the most part, I don't know. I think Jason would be happy for me. I heard yeah. Jason has a family now. I'm happy for him. Yeah, Jason. When I had him on the show, he was like, oh, yeah, I was a dick. He's like, he's like, if you knew me back then, I was probably a dick to you. He's like, I was an asshole. I know. And he's just like, you know, now he's, you know, he's a family guy. He's a family man. He doesn't, he yeah. trains still. He trains people. And, but yeah. I mean, when I met him, he was like, what, in his late 20s or something? And it was, his career had so much promise. And all of a sudden, every company shut down but one. He was just like, what What happened? Like, everyone else got their turn. Like, this was supposed to be mine. So I get, like, why he was a jerk. And I could even tell when we were going through stuff that there was, like, genuine love and concern for the people he was training. Like, I think he protected Ian. He was his firstborn at the time, you know? And mm. I think he had a little bit of that for me, too. Not as much, but he cared. Um, you know, did I feel comfortable saying that I was wanting to transition genders then? Fuck. Hell no. I didn't even feel comfortable being Middle Eastern there. I learned so many bad words for people like me from wrestling training. Um, but these are the people that are also being like, congratulations, good job, you did it. So it's like, what do you do? You know, yeah. we're just trying to be better now and grow from it. I'm sure Jason has grown. And, you know, if he sees me, he's probably seeing I've grown. Yeah, it's a weird dynamic, especially back then, where it's kind of like this weird, like, hazy college frat yeah. atmosphere where they're like... I mean, I, yeah. Something else that I think we fell victim to, or at least I like, something I think about is like, um, you know, South Park was so popular and it made everything seem like it was okay to say, not mm-hmm. just that, but other TV shows, Chappelle show, whatever it might be. You know, th- these are genuinely funny people, like doing something with topics that maybe now would be regrettable. You know, you can't watch those things now and enjoy them the same because they're not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. We've learned as people, as society, as individuals. And a lot of that reflects ways that we ourselves, I know I did, you know, shit I said could be, um, gosh, I, you know, I'm happy I don't say it anymore. If anyone, you know, remembers me saying it, like, remember how stupid I sounded then? Don't be like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's also good to like, I like that you mentioned that you're like, oh, some of these people are like very funny and this is the stuff they're putting out. And I think yeah. that's a good point because I think a lot of times now uh, when when people are like, oh, we found out, Louis C.K. is a piece of shit. And they're like, well, 
he he sucked always anyway. No, that's a bad thing to say because then yeah. what you're what you're doing is equating talent with goodness, and that's not yeah. necessarily a thing. Because you can a person can be wonderfully talented and still be a shitty person. <laughs> you know, and I I think somehow inside he doesn't realize that he was being shitty. I think that's a genuine case. But you know, I don't know him. If he doesn't come back, I won't cry. But um, yeah, like there's a lot of people that you know Dave Chappelle gets a lot of flack too, and I think. I think it's not because of the topics. I think it's because he's not as funny as he used to be, um, you know, and sometimes, but sometimes not. And when you're not that, you know, God mode of talented, all of a sudden these, uh, these premises you're putting up become a lot more flimsy. It's my take on, you know, comedians, which I don't do. So if you're a comedian, <laughs> don't worry about it. I wanted to go a little bit. We talked a little bit about uh, the concussed uh, issues of, you know, getting hit with cowbell. Uh, what is, what's the rest of the injury toll? What, like, what, how have you, uh, been blessed from wrestling as far as injury wise? Yeah. Um, I've had one time I tried to write down all my concussions and I lost, I couldn't remember. I knew there were more, but I couldn't remember them. And it was a number that I'm embarrassed to say, I won't tell you it's that many. Um, very thankfully, like it doesn't happen as much as it used to, but imagine you're a pro wrestler and let's say you do it for 10 years. And let's say, you know, gosh, maybe you get a concussion a year. Maybe you get two concussions a year. That's 20 concussions you just had. Um, Joe Montana or whoever, one of the, the San Francisco quarterback who retired yeah, after Montana. seven or eight. Yeah, he had like seven or eight. And he's like, fuck this. I don't need these millions of dollars. Um, and Steve and, Young, same thing, actually. The next Steve quarterback Young, after that. Right. just like, nope, I'm good. And then you think about us on the indie scene who are getting to a year, you know, just on average a wrestler. Maybe we had a bad year and we had four. Who knows? But after 20 years, all of a sudden you're looking at a big list. Um, luckily, I can still talk and make sentences. I don't drive as much as I used to. Um, and then you have, let's see, uh, you know, maybe a finger here or there. I've broken a couple ribs, which they always surprise me. I get this ache and I'm like, oh, it's broken. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. And after three weeks, I go to the doctor and they remember the last time he was like, gosh, you know, when people come in and say they have broken ribs, they never actually do. And I was like, is it? It's broken? Like what? And he's like, yep, feel there. That's that's where the bone has like healed over. And now there's a knot there forever. I got one over here too. Um, one from Hook Bonberry at a promo Khalifa show. Um, hey, Zeus. This one was from... Um, Gosh, one of them was from one of the Samoans at a Knox Pro show. I think I took like a superplex on the, or something like in a bad spot during a, who knows? I, I let it happen. It's not, no, no fault on them. I've torn my MCL in my right knee like three times, not full tears, like level two tears. At least three times in my left one once or twice. Um, and I just have some scars. I got a few scars on my head now. Not going away. The biggest one... Actually, try and hide this one, but here we go. You can see it. It might just be red because of dye, but nah, there's like one right there. It just cuts through my hairline, and um, that's gonna be there forever. So and that one, like, I bled so much. Oh my god. So yeah, there's been a few. Yeah, and then you get like yeah. the busted nose, the busted lip. Like those, I don't count. Oh, I cracked my jaw twice. Let's see. One time, Sir Samurai gave me a forearm because. Cause strong style. I don't fucking know. Doesn't like me. Um, but he forearmed me just right, put his elbow right inside of my cheek. Um, and then one time, Marcus Riot, Jorel, love that guy. Uh, he just gave me a super kick that caught me funny, like a spinning back kick. 
like convenient. This is when I get down to like 131 pounds. I get super skinny. Usually I sit around like 150, maybe like 145 now. Like, yeah, I've like dropped a lot of weight when these jaws break. I become just ribs and abs and like hair. Um, <laughs> there's been a few, but okay. it's also brought me so many joys. Like, you know, you told me I'd do it all again, like in a heartbeat. And uh, have you, uh, especially when you're, you know, a lot smaller in the ring when you're starting out, um, was there any other times when people tried to take advantage in the ring, get a little too snug, a little too stiff, and you had to push back? And uh, what's your go-to receipt move? I round kick people in the face um, because I have very fast feet and people are looking at me and they're like, oh, this person, what are they going to do, four on me back? I'll just four on them four times and they'll be done. So I'll throw the round kick and it, people don't ever see it coming is why it's, they, it's not that I hit them hard. It's that I just tap them on the head and they didn't even see my foot. They're like, what? Oh my God, they can touch me whenever. And then they calm down. Once they realize how fast my feet are, the other one I'll do, um, get them in the throat. I feel like they really need to calm down. Yeah. I'll do that. Like bridge yeah. that throat. And, uh, that usually calms people down. And if not, um, the front face lock, that's another one I've employed a few times because I, did high school wrestling after I started training with Jason. I was like, oh, let me do like high school wrestling too. And, um, and then I, Jason used to make us, used to make me shoot with everyone in a row, two minutes with everybody, or a minute with everyone. So like, yeah, I can slip, I'm slippery. Like I might not take you down, but don't think you're gonna hold me. I'll get out on face lock somebody real quick right under that throat. And usually once I'm there, I don't have to squeeze. They just know, okay, we'll play now. <laughs> like, yeah. We don't have to do all that anymore. Um, or the other go-to move is I'm the booker of a very successful company. It turns out I have a lot of friends these days. So people are just like super nice to me for the most part. Sometimes overly. I figure that wouldn't happen too much anymore now. Uh, no. But, uh, you know. I mean, Chupacabra will kick me in the teeth. Funny Bone will knee me in the face. All my friends still, the Stoner Brothers still throw me across the ring. Like, you know, everyone that's been cool with me for years. But when it's like someone that um, didn't come up with me or hasn't been around that long, yeah, they're, they're so ginger they wouldn't like crinkle a paper bag without they're hitting me <laughs> yeah uh other thing you mentioned earlier you talked about uh you were kind of sick of feeling like quote the boss you were like you know like all these people like well, they were my friends and now i'm their boss and it's kind of like yeah. oh shit um i had that same thing with uh scott lost when i interviewed him on here because at the time he was like you know he helped start pwg but he didn't yeah. really want to do any of the booking stuff anymore and he's like and people would be like like somebody straight up said like hey boss and he's like no nah, don't no don't yeah. <laughs> it's all call me scott <laughs> there's a couple people that have always said boss like matt carlos is always like hey boss you know but like you start to notice that everyone is saying hey boss hey chief hey you know uh they just just starts coming out more and more and you just see that um changes the dynamic but it's comfortable now i feel like all of my friends know that they can talk to me honestly and they don't have to like do anything for special they know that i respect them and what they bring to the table so as long as they're still good at wrestling, um, and they've seen that when I do react, like if someone does have to come off the show for a little bit, it's for the right reasons. So, um, I think they have faith in me. I've just gotten better at it. I've accepted that. Yeah. I think someone has to be in charge. You know, I used to love the idea of let's have a community of like six of us and we'll like take turns or no, there has to be one line. There has to be one person that it all comes down to. And it's a lot of responsibility, but it's more work than fun. I mean, I'm like, I get to make up everything. No, there has to be someone that they know they can go to. Because otherwise it's chaos. And you have different people saying, 
yes. And this one says no. And yeah. this one says talk to them. And then people are like, they'll start playing you against each other. Like, well, so-and-so said it's okay. And then you have to be like, no, they didn't. And no, you just got to have a line. It's a dictatorship. You know, I listen yeah. to the people. We've been past eight years and I'm not stepping down. Yeah. Even like when I talked to some of the PWG guys, even they said like one of, I forget who, but now, but they were like, oh yeah, I did all the graphics and stuff, but I never really messed with booking. And the other one's like, well, I did this, but I never really messed with. And so then you start to realize like eventually, even though there's six of them, it kind of whittled down to one person being the main booking person. You know what I mean? They couldn't, they couldn't have six people all yelling at once because it's just, yeah. And I'm blessed that I do have like, you know, the Stoner brothers have the Stoner U Dojo and we share that ring. It's separate from Hood Slam, but, you know, we're sisters, I guess. And they'll help me get the ring there, and their students kind of take care of that. And then, you know, with Glam, Anton Voorhees just runs Glam. I give him my full faith. I'm I'm the budget. I'm the money mark. But, you know, if you've seen the shows, I, I don't like to wrestle past match two, so you know that I'm not booking it. He puts me in the main event over and over. <laughs> and then um, uh, the Devil Drexel. Aaron, I don't know if you know him, Derek Drexel. He's in Oregon. He used to be in Florida a lot. He does our graphic design. I have to hit him up every time, play him, kind of give him a direction for what it will be, but he does it. So like I have these people that I can just completely trust and they make it easier to do my job. It's not that my job becomes less work. It's that I can, the more I can trust them, the more, the more I can focus in other places that need it. And the way they always come through for me, it's made it easy. So while I say like, you know, I'm the one and I'm holding the line, like these other folks are doing work, doing a great job. Bro said this commentary and like, I'll have to give him a lot of notes. You know, mm-hmm. he's a pro. You can just kind of um, take that to the entire crew for the most part. Just all very good at what they do and we have our formula. And while it's not um, concrete, it's not like these are the set rules. Everyone kind of knows how everything fits when we're looking at it together. Yeah, it's become uh, like a well-oiled machine. It's just, it is what it is now. After so yeah. many years, you know, so many years on top, it's like, that's what, that's what eventually happens, right? You know, it just becomes familiar. Exactly. Thank you, by the way. It's going to like smoothly go through the compliment, but like for real, there's some truth to it that once, um, once we've done it well, so many times, like I can just show up, we don't have the band as much as we used to, but I can just show up, you know, like, here's the card, just kind of looking at everyone like you two, you four, these two, that, that, run in here, boom. And the commentary knows, the band knows, the music knows, the production knows. They're just so good at it. That they, they really saved me a lot of trouble there. So we've seen a lot of promotions. So technically, me and you have almost been involved at like the same amount of time in the indie wrestling world. Not as a worker myself, obviously, but we, we, we kind of joined up with indie wrestling around the same time period, yeah. early 2000s, very early, like 2001, I believe you said your first match was, right? So yes, we've seen promoters come and go. We've seen mm. businesses come and go. Uh, without giving away any too hardcore of a secret, as a successful promoter, which you can count on maybe one hand in like most of California, uh, what advice do you have for someone who's, about to throw a bunch of money away at a promotion <laughs> and and you know like how do you think what how do you think it should be run what do you think your advice to them would be um find out where your product is like what are you doing is it just wrestling because there's already so much just wrestling so like could slam we're underground we're punk we're oakland we're you know counterculture and we're adult we know that some places are like roh um wrestling pro wrestling it's really good to have a definitive brand because 
it makes everything that you put out, like, you know what to do with it. Um, and then once you like have your name and your brand, um, you know, of course, get your social media handles, like check with all that, your website, because everything is digital. And even though a website isn't important, like you're going to want it. Um, you can do everything through Twitter, but you're going to want it. So get that. Um, right now is weird because it's pandemic. So let's pretend it's not. Still do print. You can't just put out Facebook invites. You have to make flyers. And don't just go to Target and put them on every windshield. If you're, again, it's like I know what my product is. So I will go to punk shows. I will go to the cannabis club. I go to the burrito truck. Uh, I leave stuff like different places, the liquor store, um, sometimes at poetry readings, at burlesque events. Wherever you think the audience you want is, go to it um, and reach out to them. And if you can, this is something I legitimately did. Uh, the first year I had like a budget set aside for going out to clubs and handing out flyers, drinking and talking to people about Hoodslam. Go there and have my stack of flyers. I asked the door person if I could put it there, get a drink. If someone talked to me, like I knew what I was going to talk about, try and sell them. Because even if they don't work, you can practice stuff on them. Maybe you're making fans one at a time, but you're really like honing what what uh, works and what doesn't. So let's say I'm bringing up Hoodslam and I go, this wrestling show and it's got burlesque and music and costumes and I've lost them because I said wrestling show and they're not into wrestling so the next time I go this crazy show it's 21 and up there's burlesque there's music there's all this cosplay stuff and like I saw um you know a dude get his heart ripped out and it's all in a wrestling ring like oh this sounds amazing and I just said the same thing but by by practicing and noticing how people react I've noticed advertising in a certain way was more effective even though Mm -hmm. it's the same content so um, that's a good one. And then your crew, like you want to just get who you think is hot and you saw what's good at other local shows. What you want to do is find who's loyal, who's hungry. And some of that too, what I described, but like, let's say you're doing a show. You don't want to just do hood slam again. Like you don't want to have brosive on commentary and uh, the hood slam band and the hood slam ring is rented you've just done our show again, but you're paying us and no one's making money. You want to have people that are hungry. Maybe it's us doing different characters. Maybe it was something new to do. Don't just ask us to do the same thing again, because so many wrestlers will find a way to take advantage of that. You give them something new to think about. They're so excited about what they're going to do. Maybe they do have a friend they're going to get in that could help with this, but there's like, Oh, it's another show. And this guy's got money or this gal's got money to throw. They're just going to get their friends in and they're not going to care about the storylines that you have or your vision. So this is tricky, but if you can really get that loyal group that has the same vision, it's going to go so much further. So that's basically it. Know your brand, advertise it to the right people, have a solid crew. Um, don't worry about streaming online. Buddy. You can film it HD, edit it, and stream it later. It doesn't have to be live. It doesn't have to be on IWTV. You don't have to be on Pro Wrestling Tees. You really just have to get over in your own crowd your own city, then, you know, that was my strategy. And maybe there's a lot of indie companies that have more of a pull, like, but we draw better. You're making more money at the door. So weigh that option, see where you want to get your money from. Is it through like YouTube and not YouTube? Yeah, shit. Is it through IWTV and merchant sales? Is it from the door? Just kind of know what you're doing. Don't just be like, I want to do wrestling and then just hire like your favorites. Like, Treat it like a business. You know, go figure. I'm wondering uh, how often uh, did you have to 
when you're talking to people face to face about it though do they go oh like wwe and you have to go no <laughs> that yeah. a lot i know if they say like wwe i've probably lost them they're not excited if they are then they're going to show up but i like to make a strong point that this is the antithesis of wwe you're not trying to be them you're not a major corporation that you know has i don't even know, i don't even know what to say today 10 years ago i was just like no we're punk we're underground our characters are adult we're smoking weed we're getting drunk storylines are like people dying in kung fu movies and mortal Kombat and like uh love angles and like this isn't this isn't that i want to make that super clear that's not our goal we don't want to be wwe like we want to be it slam the first yeah it's it's weird too because like and then when you learn eventually like you know i as an indie nerd you keep your eye on the wrestling companies you see like on youtube and all that and you hear of something like uh, what was it, Evolve or something like that, where it turns out it was just a WWE puppet like indie company, and you're like, oh, this is lame. It's like finding out your favorite like craft beer is owned by like Sierra Nevada. Right. You're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> or it's like a... It's some... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was like, you have another good example? I want to hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah, like Budweiser owns... Um, I think they own like they just keep buying like craft breweries. Right. Yeah, and then you're so like you're like, "Oh, look at this. Oh no, it's Anheuser Busch now." Like what the fuck? <laughs> Rolling Rock is a good example. It used to be a very independent had a flavor to it and it got bought. Cheaper to make now. So when um, it's something uh a company that you make that is your baby and then you get someone who's uh you know, he's a very sweet boy, but now he's a little sour, Mr. Boone Ashlock, and you hear his goal in wrestling entirely was to wrestle for Hood Slam. How does that make you feel as a as a creator, as a person, you know, who who's sacrificed all for their art in this way? I think it's really it's really humbling, but I want more for him. I don't I don't want Hood Slam to be people's end goal. I want it to be their jumping off point. That's always been my point for it. Um, when it was made in Northern California, it was because my friend DJ Riz had died and nobody knew who he was. And my friend Mike Hayashi just got in this crazy car accident. Maybe he would have died. And we're over here getting two concussions a year and tearing our MCLs and bleeding buckets and, and no one's seeing it. And I said, okay, I want to get eyes on this area. Then people can use what we have here as a jumping off point to get to where people are looked at. Maybe to a PWG or East Coast or like Shotzi and Mansoor have done. They went straight from training to hood slam you know a little bit of other stuff to wwe and maybe shots had a little bit more in the end. i don't want to take credit away from anyone else that you know because she has a long in her own story unrelated to us but that's my dream that's what i want to have so that said when i hear that like it's very touching and i wonder how they got these dreams and like what they saw like from the outside because i always describe like i'm in this eye of the hurricane I'm just trying to keep up with it. Other people are able to see it from the outside and see what's happening. So when someone says like, oh, it's my dream to work at I'm like, what were they looking at? What did they see that um that made them have that feeling? But maybe it's as simple as, you know, a lot of the indie shows are having 70 or 120, maybe 200 people and ours is having a thousand. A lot of the indie shows, like people are being told what to do and ours were asking them what they want to do. So maybe it's as simple as that. I don't know, it's very humbling and it makes me like proud, but I want people to get past us. I want people to grow bigger than what I'm doing. All right. 
So I'm sure you've already experienced this when you worked at Big Time Wrestling. Uh, but when the promoter runs out and yells, take it fucking home already. Uh, this is uh, the, that's what we're at now, the go home segment of the podcast. I've seen Kirk do that in person. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> I only got the pencil. He would be at the desk. He never had to yell at me. Okay. <laughs> I think it was like someone who, who wasn't from there. They, oh. yeah. But anyway, uh, here's some quick questions here. But of course, they don't have to be quick answers. You can feel free to expand on any of this stuff. And uh, let me know. Okay. Um, if not wrestling, what would you do creatively? Um, some other time of writing or storytelling, maybe comic books. I wish I had, you know, done video games because it's such a billion dollar industry. Um, but my dad was like, no, that's not a job. So <laughs> something with storytelling. Uh, ideally, I'm trying to get hired at Disney to do X-Men stuff. So if you know anybody, put a word for me. There you go. Scott Lost mm-hmm. can... Uh... There you go. Scott Lost, if you're watching this episode, please. I'm I'm a historian. I'm an ex historian. Uh, What's your favorite mover hold that you don't use? Um, I don't know. Shooting Star Press, I suppose. It's really pretty. Um, Let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. That was a tough question, man. I don't use? Yeah. I'm trying to think of what I can't do, and it's very limited. Um, oh, the uh, the um, Sasuke special number two. It's what they call it, space flying tiger drop, where you do the round off and you do the twisting backflip over the top rope. I don't ever do that. Uh, what's your craziest fan interaction you've had in indie wrestling? Um, some of them have tried to fight me. Some of them have had to tr- uh, try to have sex with me. Um, some of them have been successful. Um both <laughs> uh here's one i was at a show um i think it was a stoner you dojo show at the metro and i went to the bathroom and uh these ladies were in there like it was like these two people like around my age and these two older women they're like these are our daughters they're friends and we're friends we all came to your show like we get pictures and you were great and i was like thanks and i leave the bathroom that's what happens in the women's house I leave the bathroom and then like uh, one of them comes back and comes up to me and I was like, Hey, so after the show, like, if you want, you can come to my boyfriend's place with me and we're all going to do mushrooms and we'll just hang out, you know, and see what happens. <laughs> and uh, like just me, her and her boyfriend, just hang out, do some mushrooms. I respectfully decline. <laughs> Maybe next time. It's amazing. Um, besides hurting you, what's the worst mm-hmm. thing someone could do when you're working with them in a match? smell bad yeah you know um, it really throws me off I don't want to touch him uh, you know I assume like hurting me includes messing up the spot something that bugs me a lot is when um, when people are way bigger than me and they, they do all their power moves to me they throw me here there power bomb power slam then I go for a Rana and they fall over like all of a sudden they can't hold me now I'm too heavy um, <laughs> that one drives me nuts so don't be, don't be selfish like that. Don't be a jerk. Speaking of, uh, that kind of ties into earlier. Uh, uh, some people have been listening to some random podcasts like Eric Bischoff's and a few others. And they were saying that there's apparently, there's like rumors that Vader would, if he didn't like you, he would intentionally like, he already had a body odor issue apparently. Hmm. And what he would do is, and I noticed this now in some of the matches when I watch the network, like when he's pinning a guy, he'll just put his armpit directly on the top of their face. And yeah. I'm just like, hmm, that's... that's- 
I don't know. Good for you. Hey. <laughs> not, not, not too big a fan of that. Uh, or deodorant. Yes. Uh, when's the last time you were legitimately surprised by a worker in the ring? Hmm. A lot of the stuff that Shotzi and Mansoor do, like they just get it so quickly. Um, I know it's been a few years, but just watching them for like, I knew, and Richard Shamiri. Um, sometimes I'm really blown away by how strong he is. Rick Scott Stoner, um, I've never seen him not be able to lift something. Some of the stuff Funny Bone does though, off the balcony. Um, Vipress, you know Vipress? Mm-hmm. She's just super good too. She's been wrestling like a year and I just watch. It's like, wow, like how are you so good at this already? I'm just blown away. And um, Heather Monroe, I have a lot of nice things to say about a lot of the LA crew. Viva Van, they said these like sick ass kicks. Um, there's like, you've been doing this a year. Why are you so good? <laughs> uh, so yeah, stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of Heather Monroe. I think yeah, she's so good. So good. Like people know she's great, but then they just like don't mention her. Like they'll, like, oh, look at Bay. She's doing so good in, like, her own post. Whenever you're making a list of, like, California greats, like, I think she should be right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good uh, female workers in California, especially right now. Like, I love her. I love Ruby Rays. I love, like, a yeah. bunch of people that are just, like, so good. Uh, let's see. Has a booker tried to stiff you on money? And if yes, what are some funny excuses they give for doing so? Let's see. Um, one time I wrestled a match for big-time wrestling. This other pro- wrestler was supposed to wrestle Phoenix Rage, and he got scared, so I got put into the match. It was my second match, and I got a horrible concussion, and I went up and down to Reading and, like, put up the ring and stuff and, like, split a hotel room. Like, I slept on the floor of someone's hotel room or something. I didn't have any money. And uh, Kirk never paid me. I kept calling him, like, hey, are you going to pay me? He's like, I'll get you next time. This happens for months, and finally I'm like, hey, like, I don't need 20 bucks. Like, I need you to pay me so, like, I'm not an embarrassment to my family. I don't think I'm like different the last two months because of my concussion for some crazy obsession I'm not even being rewarded for. Can you give me 20 fucking dollars? And anyway, so I stopped wrestling at BTW for a while after that. And uh, let's see, um, Ground Zero Wrestling, there's that dude who tried to be what I just described not to be when you're starting a wrestling company. He was a money mark who was just throwing cash around and didn't know what his business was. He books me and he says, I want you to cut a promo. But be careful, because I was a soldier in Iraq. I was like, what does that mean? Like, do you want the promo or not? Like, I'm going to be Iranian either way. Um, and after the show, he's running laps around the ring, trying to get away from me. Every time I cross the ring, he goes around. And uh, I think I was like, chemo. Like, go, um, what do you call it in basketball? Oh, screen him? <laughs> yeah, please go screen him for me. And I was like, hey, can you give me my money? And I was like, oh, I don't have as much. I didn't make the money. I was like, give me gave me like 20 or 40 bucks. I think I was told 16, he gave me like 30. What happens often, um, not as often as it used to. Now I don't wrestle anywhere unless I want to. I'd wrestle there for free if you're seeing me wrestle somewhere. Otherwise I wouldn't be there. So it doesn't even matter. But they've, they've done a lot of things. I've made them, in Florida, there was this dude who would never be able to pay the wrestlers more than 10 bucks, but then he would go to the strip club after and be like mm. big shot. So I would just put drinks on his tap. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, you don't have any money? Okay, cool. I need this many shirts then. Or I'm taking this many DVDs. Um, Mike Modest taught me that. He owes you 80 bucks. You're taking 80 bucks worth of shirts, not at $20 each, but what they cost of like 7 or $10 each. 
I usually don't want their shirts. So I'm just like, okay, well, like, I Uh, yeah, I, we had this discussion with Scott Lost on here. We're talking about just how prevalent it is to get screwed over, and like, we're like, I wonder if there's any other business that that is is prevalent as as in wrestling. Just like the amount of times people are just like, do you ever have outside people co- come to Hood Slam and they're like, oh, you're paying me awesome, <laughs> like they're yes. almost like relieved. Like, <laughs> I mean, they I I discussed with everyone what they would like before we get there. There's no mystery. People know before they show up what they're going to get paid. And sometimes they tell me these numbers and I'm like, okay. And I just give them like a decent amount. Cause I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you can ask for more. Like, shit, we do well. Um, even if we didn't, like, don't, don't do that. Don't, you know, you don't need $30, you know, or don't be like 35, ask for 40. And I'm going to end up giving them like more because I don't know. I talked a lot of shit about Shane Cody and Shane Cody, um, when we put a show on, he gave everyone at least a hundred dollars. It's like nobody wrestles for me and doesn't get paid a hundred dollars for being legitimate here. It was important. And I was brand new, me, Mike Silva, anybody on the show got paid. And I always uh I was like, you know, all the times he hit me, like I was fucked up, but this was like an honorable thing. I like wow. I, I like the person for it. I respect him. And it's just because he's been in the family and wrestling for like two hundred years. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Um what's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? Oh god. Uh so many silly things I've seen. I always love um the double duck under. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna duck the clothesline. Are you gonna duck the clothesline? We're both gonna duck the clothesline. So every time I see the double duck under, I just hop. And I am so happy that they don't honk heads. Get that that sound where you know they're tasting iron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So not that. I laugh at myself a lot. One time the twins were wrestling these guys. This is the Stoner Brothers story, we'll tell it. They were wrestling these guys and they took like a, a drop to hold in a 619 position. And both guys go from inside of the ring to jumping onto the, in one motion, jumping to the outside and hanging onto the ropes and doing double drop to the head. And they miss and scissor and fall. I'm like, <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, gosh, what's the dumbest thing I've done? Oh, one time I, we did this thing at Hood Slam where we were doing a blood drive. Um, for one of the wrestlers, like a the zombie, we're gonna give him fresh blood. So Doc Atrocity was collecting blood from all these people, putting it all in the same bag, you know, being gross. He asked me for mine, and I refused. And we wrestle, and during the match, my idea is I take the blood bag and I rip it like, over the crowd, and they all get covered in blood. And as I'm lifting it up, it just all comes out early and covers me in blood, and it all falls on me. And I'm, I was on purpose, right? I did that. I have to own that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, sometimes Coach Nubs, he'll do this thing at the end of like picture time. He'll just start, he'll do like a call and response with the crowd where he'll say, whoa, they say, whoa. He says, whoa, whoa. They go, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. He'll do it all back. Um, and just Boone. Whenever I team with Boone, he does something that I'm just like, you're in a different realm. I can't even, where do you come up with this? How did you do that? Like what? <laughs> What boonery is this? Boonery. Um, yeah. Um, you wrestle all over the place and you've seen a lot of crazy stuff. I'm very popular. What's the worst gimmick you've seen? Uh, people do Nazis a lot. I don't think that's funny. Like they do it in the Bay Area. They'll be like, this is fine. You're like, it's really not. You don't need to do that anymore. Mm. Um, sometimes uh, just bad. 
Kaepernick? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. They all can be made good, given a proper opportunity. Just a lot of times you see people... Like, I don't like any time someone uh, pretends to be a different race. Mm. That, to me, is always a red flag. Um, don't care for it. Don't think it's good. Yeah, Nazis and... Um, Blackface or brownface, yellowface, whatever it might be. We still give Ian shit for when he cut a promo as a Hispanic wild storm. He said, And tonight I will be the wiener. Yes, we'll be wieners. Still, yeah, still to this day, we give him shit for that. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. He can just be wild storm and be white. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't exactly tanned. No, <laughs> he had like the he had that skater boy haircut, you know, where it's like short but it's long. It was the um, the Sean from Boy Meets World haircut. Yeah, the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> if my hair was down, I would you know I wouldn't be so similar, right? But um, yeah, yeah, uh, that's great. Stuff like that, never care for it. Everything else, I think, has a chance. Any other uh, quote big name? people uh who that either it'd be at hood slam or other shows you were on they thought they were bigger than the show acted like they were bigger than the show just totally rubbed you the wrong way just their whole vibe you know um i can sum a lot of my stories up too if you listen to jason styles talking about like Ido or tonka not that the tonka was a jerk but like all those stories i was there for and i was like yep yeah, yeah so he was Dito was a bit of a i can just tell he was in a bad mood that day you know i don't know what his problem was but he wasn't feeling it um, a lot of them are just uh, Jerry Lawler came off like a big uh, pedophile um, most of them are just quiet I remember Goldust being like overly nice to where you know he was pretending but it's like not pretending just he was like he told me it's an honor and a pleasure to meet you and all you know it, it meant so much to me and I knew when I walked away he wouldn't remember but it's still like it was nice to hear so I remember that um, gosh who's the biggest dick uh, the, the New Age Outlaws were funny. They were at some show we did, and I remember like Timo drank Billy's beer, and he, he went into hiding. They were like, "Nobody touch our Coors Light." I'm like, dude, like it's six bucks. Like, calm the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, fine. Um, yeah, Vader. He's the biggest piece of shit I've been around. Yeah. Nobody else has really rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, gosh, I don't want to bury him, but there's this guy that everybody likes who does comedy stuff and. Um, he has that. It's it's a Colt Cabana. Okay, everyone likes him. I don't I don't know. He's always rubbed me the wrong way. When he was at APW, he treated everyone like they were just nobodies. We'd be watching a screen. He'd go stand in front of us and fart. And when I called him on it, he was like, are "You calling me on it?" I was like, "Are you doing it?" And he'd walk away. I know that he's intentionally tried to injure people from NorCal, not because they're from here, just because he knew he could get away with it and get fun. Last time I saw him was in Arizona, and I kind of just faved him the whole show. He seemed like he genuinely wanted to, like, say hi and be nice. Maybe he's a different person than then. And I just was a jerk to him, to be honest. He said, something to me, he's like, well, all right, well, like, see you in hell. Like, he was trying to, like, hurt me, and it, like, came out all funny. And I was like, that was the funniest thing you've done all day. <laughs> I'm a big fan of your match. Um, not to take away from the, his accomplishments, but and maybe if I met him, under different circumstances, we'd have been the best of friends, and I really think he's a cool guy, but I don't. Not today. I'm open to tomorrow. You hit me up. Uh, I was found uh, 
the guys who were actually giant names were always nicer than like I knew. Like every time I felt like Bret Hart was at BTW, he was super fucking nice. Like Bret Hart was the I have nothing bad to say about Bret Hart. I met him when I was 14. He took 300 goddamn Polaroids in the ring. I took I stood there for two and I was going fuzzy. I can only imagine how he felt in like 2002 after Goldberg took skull in. He sat in that mall and took 300 Polaroids and I was the nicest person I'd ever met in wrestling. Told me to keep at it, kid. And I was like, go get him, Brett. Hey, Chance. Great. Go get him. And then uh, <laughs> the, the other funny one I always think about is uh, my cousin, he, he was always been a big flair mark. He loved flair. Mm. Like, ever so. And he was like, well, Kirk's doing like that WrestleCon thing. And they actually had Ric Flair for the autographs. And he's like, you know what? I never fucking pay for any autographs for wrestling. You know, f- fuck it. I'm going to get one. It's Ric Flair. So we yeah. got it. And the whole time I was there and I just watched the Ric Flair's interaction with everyone is exactly the same, which is just like, Hey, hey. like he's not listening to you. You're talking and he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just like, sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's great, pal. <laughs> yeah, He's just in his own world. And I, I thought that was so fucking funny. I was like, that's so great. <laughs> At the, um, the 2005 one. Oh, I have something that made me laugh. One time I was watching Jason Styles team up with Lay Emperor against Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine, and he fell asleep on the ring apron waiting for the tag because the match was so fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in 2005 at that same WrestleFest, I went up to Iron Sheik. Here I am, this Iranian, I'm a Sheik. There's the Iron Sheik, and even though he, like, you know, sold us out in a heartbeat and said he was from Iraq, he's still the Iron Sheik. He's the only Iranian never been in wwe ever so or wcw anywhere i went up to him i said to him in farsi you know i'm a big fan of yours my family appreciates everything you've done as he he goes yes very good where do i sign and i was like no then i said to him in english i was like no i'm telling you like i'm iranian too and like uh like what you did was cool for us He's like, right, very good. Kirk, maybe a good time medicine break. Like, I, I tried. I tried to be respectful to one of you old timers. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> always a bummer because, like, you know, you know, the, the word Mark gets thrown around a lot as far as, like, oh, you can't really a- actually be a fan. But, no, it's like yeah. sometimes you just want, like, a genuine, just, like, a, a nice thing. Like, like, I told Brett a story of when I was – like 11 or 10 years old. And I went to an autograph signing for Owen Hart mm. and my cousin had lost his keys. So, and he turned out he locked him in his car, but we were looking for him. So we were separated. Right. And at this point, the crowd had been backed away and somehow I found myself looking for the keys, but I was next to the opening of the card store where he was going to enter. And Owen walks straight up to me and he just goes, hello, I'm Owen. How are you doing today? And I was like, I, I'm I'm great. I I love you. Like you're you're amazing. And he's like right. and he's like and he's like very nice to meet you. And he went inside. And I was like I told Brett that story. And he's like that's a great story, man. And I was like and how? Oh, yeah, yeah. To me, like I look at that and I go like that's like a moment I'll always remember. Right. And like you know. And how hard was that for Owen? Yeah. How not difficult? Not. How much did he have to go out of his way to just smile and be polite and ask someone how they're doing? And yeah. They'll remember it forever. Um, you know. Yeah, but I guess oh. it's just it's just uh, harder for some people to just be decent human beings. <laughs> I don't know. That's true. Do you know who's a terrific name who I uh, I love very much? Rikishi, Big Kish. I have nothing but amazing 
memories of Rikishi from when I watched him on TV, where I got to wrestle him at Knox Pro um, and Territory League, and just to like how he talks to people, the respect he shows to people is humbling and inspiring. Yeah, mad love for Rikishi and all the Knox Pro and the Samoan family that I've been lucky enough to meet. So I like to end on this. This is the touchy-feely question of the group. This is your pure joy in wrestling, whether it be something before, during, or after the match, something that gives you the goosebumps. You're like, I fucking love this business. This is why I fucking love this business. Your pure joy in wrestling. All of it, you know? Um, there's definitely something to be said when I'm in the ring and I, everything's going. You have that chemistry with the person you're wrestling with. It's not just about like, okay, I did my moves. Like, no, like we worked together. We had timing and we did amazing things with our minds and bodies to entertain. When that is in sync, it's, um, it's a holy moment. And a lot of that to me is just all of wrestling. Like when I watch um, Bailey fight Sasha in that NXT match and I forget that I've been wrestling for 15 years and I can just enjoy it and care who wins. Like one, two, oh, you know, I can do that again. I'm so happy. And honestly, that's the last match that made me do that. And the first one for a long time. Um, and then when you see, like, I've been on break for seven months from wrestling, which is the longest I've ever been. Um, and that involved even training. I'm starting to do it a little bit again now, but I didn't do it as much for a long time. So now, even when I just go to the ring and I sit in it, I touch the mat, I'm in heaven. Every ring is my my home, church. Um, and anywhere in the country, any ring I get in the world, any ring I've been into, I'm at home. I'm comfortable. I could take a nap. I can't take a nap on every bus or car ride or airplane. Right? You know what I mean? But any ring, I feel it. And that's it for me. You know, that's, that's everything. That's my joy. And take it a step further the last year i've gotten to do a show every week plus like a hood slam sometimes twice a week but at least every week for over a year and that's like time with my friends and my family that we can always have we can always look back not only were we doing it and like making money and like having fans but like we had so much fun we got to spend it together so yeah i also met my partner like through them um, coming to a show. So that's probably the biggest joy right now. Just everything. My life has been intertwined with wrestling for so long. And it's for it's for my benefit. It's for the better. And maybe always will be in some ways. Fantastic answer. I love that. Thank you so much for being on. Please, before we go though, put yourself over, put Hood Slam over. Where can people reach, watch, see anything all involving Dark Sheik? Sure, I'll put myself over because I am Dark Sheik. Um, I've gone by a lot of names, but I'm still the greatest wrestler alive. I work at the most fabulous show on earth, but Slam, and also sometimes Glam, and also sometimes Sexy Good Time Wrestle Show. All of these are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can see Hood Slam on Twitch, IWTV. I'm at Dark Sheik FTF on Twitter and Instagram, if I didn't say that. Um, I'll be at Effie's Big Gay Brunch October 10th in Indiana. And that's my booking for the year because fuck the world. And also, you know, I just want to say uh, there's more things coming in the future. And like right now seems down. 
but I have a lot of faith in wrestling and all of us that we're going to have something magical on the other end of this. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I dig it, especially because you know about the Bay Area. <laughs> a lot of the interviews I do are like with people away from who knows where, LA or something. They don't know shit about here. 